I always say never let the tax tail wag the dog, right? You don't want it just to invest in something because it's got good tax benefits. You want to invest in something because you believe it, it's a good investment, and hey, by the way, you get good tax benefits, which is how we're structuring it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Immigrant Doctor Podcast. I'm your host, the Immigrant Doctor, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. I have with me Ben Fraser. So Ben is actually the Chief Investment Officer for Aspen Funds. That's his company. Um, he runs with his dad. And I'm super excited to bring him on to talk about oil because this is something that I've heard a lot of, you know, that oil also offers great tax benefits and there are great returns. But there's a lot more to it, right? We've been talking about global warming and how we're changing to uh, electric vehicles, etc. So I figured, let me get Ben on and see why he is pivoting from real estate, not actually pivoting, but actually adding oil as one of the investment vehicles into his portfolio of already successful real estate uh, you know, investments that he has. So Ben, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Avishkar. Looking forward to chatting here. Yeah, so let's talk about your journey. I mean, um, I, I know briefly about Aspen Funds. I've spoken to some people on your, you know, on your team. Uh, but tell me, tell me more about this. How did you get started with all of this? Yeah, so Aspen, we were started uh, probably about eleven years ago, and uh, really started uh, kind of seeing a unique opportunity in the market. And so you mentioned my my father's one of the partners. Um, he we have another partner uh, named Jim. And uh, really 11 years ago, saw this really unique opportunity coming out of the great financial crisis and distressed mortgages, right? And there was a lot of those at that point in time. And they really started, hey, let's go and there's a unique niche here. We can buy these for pennies on the dollar. Uh, we can actually help people you know, stay in their homes and actually still make a good profit along the way. And uh, so they started doing that just as an initial fund uh, with friends and family, didn't, didn't think anything of it. Hey, let's do this one fund, be done. But it kind of turned into this business that just kept growing and growing. And uh, as we kept scaling with that market, became one of the larger middle market players. Um, and then really kind of set the tone for kind of our investment approach, which has always been very opportunistic. We um, you know like to first look at what are the big picture trends going on in the market right now, right? Because intuitively as investors, we all understand Things go in cycles, right? There's better times than others to invest in certain asset classes. And it's important to understand the trends, right? And we all think, you know, of the stock market and, and no one can predict where it's going to go on a given day. And largely that's true, right? You know, who knows where the market's going to do today? But you can look at underlying trends and longer term, what we call mega trends that are usually going to be um, supported by, you know, certain you know, basic supply and demand, you know, economic uh, supports over a long period of time. And you directionally can a lot of times determine where things are going to go. And so we like to be positioned in our portfolios where we think the opportunities are. And so that's really driven us to, you know, we expanded outside of just distressed debt several years ago um, into a lot of real estate and then also into oil and gas because we saw a very unique um, opportunity. And we actually believe like right now is one of the best times we'd be investing in oil and gas, uh, probably for the past, I don't know, five or seven years. It's a very, very unique time in the market, which we can get into why. Um, that's really kind of driven our approach. And so my journey uh, actually came from a commercial banking background, um, uh, worked in kind of corporate, you know, finance for a while, was an underwriter, was a lender. And, um, you know, I had a great experience, really enjoyed it. One of my favorite things when I underwrote deals was, 
getting to look at the personal financial statements of all the wealthy uh, borrowers of our bank and see exactly what they own, what they invest in, how they've made all their money. And it was clear to me that uh, there's kind of a common denominator across most all of these successful, wealthy individuals. One, it was they owned businesses and they owned a lot of real estate and they used smart, smart debt to, to do those. And so to me, it was uh, kind of eye-opening and pretty quickly realized, hey, I don't want to be in banking long-term. I want to have more fun and, and jump ship to the equity side. So yeah, I joined uh, Aspen six years ago, um, uh, now become partner and a chief investment officer and uh, really kind of help uh, vet, find, uh, acquire, and put all the capital together for the deals that we're doing. So um that's kind of my my story, and uh, I know we we have got connected in some cool masterminds, and, and love what you're doing too. So it's been it's, it's cool to see this kind of what I believe to be really still early innings of this shift of capital of wealth to private alternatives, and you know real estate's obviously huge. It's going to continue to be an amazing place for people to invest. I think oil and gas is another amazing opportunity and uh, just love seeing, you know, more people come into the space because I think there's some real clear advantages. Right. And, you know, before we go into why you think this is the best time to invest in oil and gas, let's just start with a, a sort of a broader picture of, you know, the current state of the market, especially, you know, when you look at the news, everybody's talking about global warming. Everybody's talking about the fact that, you know, we're moving towards electric vehicles. We want cleaner, cleaner uh, environments and this and that. And really, you know, oil and gas doesn't doesn't necessarily, at least when you look at it from a broader perspective, doesn't tie into this. So how do you see um, how, how do you counter that argument? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's an interesting time because, you know, who doesn't want clean, renewable energy, right? That That's a goal that I think conceptually everyone can get behind. And I'm very supportive of alternative energy. I want renewable energy. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, and so I think because of that, it's it's become kind of this pseudo political thing too. And I you don't know, have to get into politics at all because I don't, I'm not, uh, you know, that interested in it, honestly. But from a pure economic standpoint, it's it's created this very unique uh, dynamic in the market because what's happened is as the narrative has shifted to, you know, global warming, we've got to reduce fossil fuel supply or usage. Um, we're, you know, seeing some electric vehicles, you know, kind of you know, start to take over the market share, which is great. Um, and it just appeals to a lot of people uh, uh, you know, platforms that these politicians are running on. Because of that, it's it's kind of become this hot button issue, this big narrative. And what's happened is um, in the, you know, the, the investment into new production of fossil fuels domestically has dropped by 50% over the past seven years. And if you think about right now, like, um, you know, we, we're, we've expanded our usage of, of green energy uh, over the past few decades, but it's nowhere where most people think it is as far as total energy usage, right? Right now, fossil fuels are still make up uh, over 80% of total um, energy usage, even still today. Um, so it's, it's less than 20% that is non-carbon, that's renewable. In we have some pretty like severe bottlenecks um, we can get into on uh, just the materials and minerals needed to continue to produce battery technology, to continue to produce um, 
these, these renewable energies that are going to make it very difficult for adoption to kind of cross that critical threshold, at least anytime in the near future. And so you're kind of, I'm kind of laying the landscape here. So you've got this, these narratives that are pushing green energy. Everyone wants clean energy. That's a great noble goal. But the unintended consequence is this, this transition is not going to happen in a vacuum. It's not going to happen overnight. We've been trying actually to make the transition for many decades, actually. And this, this, you know, we've been investing in renewable energy for a long time, you know, wind and solar especially. And um, it's, it's caused this lack of, of new investment um, into production of fossil fuels. Now, if you think about what are fossil fuels, these are, you know, a fixed finite resource in the ground. And every time you're pulling it out of the ground, there's less of it there. And so it's called depletion. And so um, every year we deplete about 5% of the domestic production here in the U.S. that we produce. And so if we're not actually drilling new wells and new, you know, exploring for new production, our supply is going down by 5% per year. Um, and if you actually look at the, uh, the demand forecasts, even by the IEA, the EIA, um, a lot of these uh, alternative-friendly energy agencies, they're, they're predicting that even 10 to 15 years from now, the demand for fossil fuels will still be at the same, if not more, than what it is right now because this transition to kind of hit – um, the, the, these benchmarks to transition to alternative energy sources are, are severely uh, limited by um, a lot of the minerals that are, um, you know, needed to uh, produce these sources. That's yeah, that's interesting because um, you know I had gone through um, the masterclass that you had put forth, and it was very eye-opening for me to actually understand this perspective. Because when we look at this clean energy, and we look at especially like electric vehicles, we recently bought an electric vehicle. The fact that you know, you still require fossil fuels to actually, um, you know, get those electric vehicles on the road and keep them running. It was very eye-opening because on the one hand, we're talking about cleaner cleaner engines and cleaner fuels. But on the other hand, essentially, we're just shifting, um, you know, shifting fossil fuels from uh, burning in one type of vehicle to another type of vehicle. And, and that was very, very eye-opening for me. But in terms of investing in this per se, right, um, obviously, the U.S. is not the largest producer of fossil fuels in the world. Um, do you primarily focus on investing only in the U.S., or do you look at the global scale of production? And how do you see um, the U.S. actually playing a role in the in the larger scheme of things globally? Yeah, well, it's actually great you bring that up because most people don't realize that the U.S. actually is the largest oil producer in the world. <laughs> That's oh, what's really crazy about interesting. This. Yeah, we are. And, um, you know, that might not be for the future if we don't continue to invest in, in new production. Um, and, you know, the Middle East is obviously that's been a big part of uh, what they do. You know, Saudi Arabia is sitting on massive amounts of oil. Uh, Russia is actually a pretty big producer of oil and natural gas. Um, but it's it's actually surprising. We have we have all the resources in the U.S. that we need um, to meet all of our needs and to even export. Um, so. That, that's what's so fascinating about it is, is the narrative is just so one-sided. And again, not to get political, but from an, from an investment standpoint, I love it because there's these really clear uh, facts that you can't argue with, right? And wh whatever side of the fence you're on politically, it does, doesn't really matter. You know, I'm looking at these things from a pure investment standpoint, right? And maybe if you have, you know, uh, 
a moral issue with fossil fuels. That's a different thing. And I actually have a whole, there's a great book called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. <laughs> I, I encourage people to read because it actually, um, there's a whole side of this that's actually very, very beneficial to global human flourishing. You know, cheap energy has been the single uh, primary factor that has driven most countries that have been, you know, undeveloped to developed. Having access to cheap energy is essential to having these countries get out of poverty and to improve uh, just human flourishing in general. And if you actually look at, you know, yeah, global warming is one thing. Yes, we have increased our carbon footprint. But if you look at, you know, the other side of this, which is, you know, deaths caused by, um, you know, natural disasters and deaths caused by other things that you would think would be a consequence of global warming, have have exponentially dropped because we're advancing as a human civilization, not just in the U.S. but across the world, and we can actually manage um, you know these these issues in a better way because we have more advanced technologies. And it's also up for debate with whether you know higher carbon is actually actually okay for the environment because you know what's the primary source of um, of food for plants, right? They like carbon. And so uh, it's actually, we've actually seen an expansion of, of um, uh, you know, the, the foliage and, and green, um, uh, you know, trees, bushes, all those kind of things across the world uh, since we've done that. So there's, there's a lot of things we don't know and we, we, ha we have to be smart about it. We want to make sure we're not being stupid and, and utilizing all the resources we have. But to go a little bit into an aside on that, I think it's important for people to really dig past just the narratives um, and then going back to the investment side of this, you know, if you look at, um, you know, I want to invest where there's value. I want to invest where there's kind of inherent um, opportunity. And one of the greatest value investors of all time is Warren Buffett, right? And he's kind of considered, you know, one of the fathers of value investing. And he's making huge bets in oil right now because he sees this declining supply curve right? And it's, it's inelastic. It's not something all of a sudden we just decide to flip the switch and we can just produce more oil because there's this long time frame that leads up to got to go explore it, got to go test it, got to go get the permitting, got to do the drilling and got to, you know, build the capacity, got to have capital flows there. And so the supply is decreasing and demand, meanwhile, is projected to be at least the same, if not higher over the next decade. Well, that's a, that's a, if you understand economics at all and supply and demand curves, that's a pretty good recipe for you know, strong oil prices um, over the next at least decade. And then you add to the fact of this, so that's kind of just the, the price environment, but then you add to the fact because of a lot of the ESG initiatives that are being forced on a lot of big capital allocators like the Blackstones of the world, they're actually re required to invest large portions of their portfolios into green energy. Hey, again, that's a great thing. I'm not, I'm not, you know, demeaning that at all. But what's happened again is that investment into fossil fuels has dramatically reduced. So private equity funding has kind of left the landscape, you know, by and large. And so it's actually created less competition for really good quality basins, really good quality operators. And we're buying cash flows, existing properties that are existing cash flow with all the decline and depletion curves built in. Uh, usually around 20% uh, present value. And so if you understand real estate, that's basically the same as a cap rate, right? We're buying these at 20% cap rates, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine because it's so different than, you know, wow. real estate um, uh, from a cash flow standpoint. But 
there's just a lot of value there. There's not as much competition. You can buy these at really good good values, and you can um, you know have upside through new drilling. And if there's price appreciation, which we're very we think the probabilities are to that side of it, that's only upside, right? So it's it's a really great time again where we think right, right now where it's this kind of perfect storm of you know reducing supply, you know steady demand, not as much competition. And you can buy really good cash flows to reduce your risk um, in these types of investments. All right, guys, if you haven't done already, please go check out my free video series on how to do due diligence on operators and on deals before investing in them. It's called Real Estate Rx for Passive Investors, and it's available at www.rerxcourse.com.